Alleluia! This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Alleluia and amen. Please be seated. Good morning! Happy 4th of July. I know we have at least a few Peachtree Road Racers. Congratulations. Extra credit points for getting to church today. And, you know, the tradition calls every Sunday a little Easter. So happy Easter. Happy Easter. Christ is alive. He's risen. He's here among us as his gathered body. And it is such a joyful and truly electric mix of emotions and excitement to be back together, masks off, voices raised, all together again. (laughs) Praise God. But is anyone else a little nervous? I am, and not so much because of the virus or public health, But just because reunions are a little bit scary, aren't they? I've changed. You've changed. We have changed. Behind the masks, our kids are a little taller. Some of us have more wrinkles that we've seen grow day by day on Zoom. So we've changed out here, and we've changed in here. For many of us. Our dreams, our priorities, our routines are vastly different since the last time we met. So it's a little bit scary, but we're home. We all feel a little different about our hometowns. I'm from a little town in Tennessee, spelled Maryville, but pronounced Maryville, or if you're really an old-timer, it's Merville. Although, as one colleague priest said, I'm not going to call it Merville unless the mother of God is named Murray. <laughs> I feel okay about Maryville. I'm very glad to slide into my parents' house for the holidays. Probably not going to try to preach in Maryville. <laughs> Definitely not going to Walmart. <laughs> Hide my face. Well, as As president of the student council my senior year of high school, there is an unwritten understanding that I, of all people, would be in charge of our 10-year class reunion four years ago. And when the time came, I drug my feet so hard that if it was my job, I would have been fired. I'll confess, I actually waited so long that other people started planning it for me, and I was totally okay with that. But I showed up awkward as it was, and I survived. But it was really scary. I wasn't sure I could quite bear to remember and face all the masks and baggage I thought I'd left behind with my 18-year-old self, and all of a sudden, here it was coming up to the surface, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the awkward. I was a completely different person, but I showed up And by God's grace, I survived. We really don't want to change. Not only do we not want to change, we really don't want our people to change. 
Perhaps you've experienced this phenomenon, a grown child coming home from college their first semester, reconnecting with a long-lost friend separated by decades, maybe trying to reunite with an estranged loved one as you seek reconciliation. Maybe you've struggled to let a loved one go and grow and follow their heart into whatever the future held for them. My best friends in college, Justin and Emily and I, all three of us went to the University of Tennessee together, and then all three of us actually went to Divinity School at Yale in New Haven. Quite a remarkable friendship across the years. And while I was from a pretty small town, Maryville, Justin was from a really small town, tiny town, Seymour. And as soon as Justin announced that he was going to Yale, he started receiving anonymous packages and letters in the mail from concerned acquaintances, including a copy of the 1951 publication, God and Man at Yale, The Superstitions of Academic Freedom, which made a case for the slippery slope for the faithful who attend the godless Ivy League. While these gifts were supposedly given out of love and care, they were disconcerting, to say the least. We don't want our people to change. Well, today, Jesus comes back to his hometown, not with a fancy graduate degree, but with a prophetic word of grace and peace. Mark doesn't tell us exactly what was said, but in Luke's account, it's here that Jesus boldly proclaims freedom for the oppressed, liberty for the captives, recovery of sight for the blind. God's dream of a whole new world. At first, the crowd is wowed, astounded. Where did this kid get all this? But pretty soon, familiarity breeds contempt and envy. Wait a minute. Isn't this Mary's son? How could this young prophet, born of two teenage peasants, have the audacity to come back here and preach such a seemingly foreign, radical gospel? Who does he think he is? The townspeople took offense. The ironic thing is, yeah, he's Mary's son. And all this talk of liberty and healing and freedom and sight, that was Mary's song. It's the song she sang from the day she knew Jesus was in her womb. He got it from her. It was her faith, her song, and Mary was one of them too. Not a foreigner or a radical, but a devout Jew and daughter of Nazareth. In showing up in Nazareth, Jesus lives more into who he was always taught to be. He sings their songs back to them. A mirror of the faith imparted to him, not by the big city Jerusalem temple or the distant Ivy League. He got it from them. He was one of them. He is one of us. That God became human 
is a lovely idea at Christmas time. We love the baby Jesus. He doesn't ask anything of us. Grown up Jesus. Well, grown up Jesus offers us the image of a dynamic and fully human God made flesh whose image we bear. And if Jesus, in his full and glorious humanity, if Jesus can change, then we are confronted not only with the invitation, friends, but the call to change too, to grow, to evolve by faith. Perhaps you've seen the cartoon of the butterfly and the caterpillar who meet over lunch to catch up. The caterpillar says to the butterfly, you've changed. (laughs) The butterfly responds, we're supposed to. We're supposed to. This resurrected Jesus, who we celebrate on this Easter and every Easter, well, Jesus is the butterfly. And the intimidating thing is, Jesus doesn't come on scene today as some out-of-town consultant. He knows our business, and he is all up in it. (laughs) Isn't this Mary's son? Yep. And guess what? He knows your mama, too. He knows our mamas and our daddies. He knows where we come from. He knows our stuff. He calls us to be transformed on a deeply personal and intimate, if not intrusive, level. He's not talking about other people. He's talking about us, our relationships, our time, our families, our finances, our futures, us. The 1982 country song by B.J. Thomas sums it up. If they saw him riding in, long hair flying in the wind, would they love him down in Shreveport today? If they saw him talk with ease to junkies, prostitutes, and thieves, would they love him out in Wichita today? Would the rich guys think it funny if he said, give up your money? Would they love him up on Wall Street today? And if he made the wine from water, gave it to their sons and daughters, well, what would the folks in Salt Lake City say? Would you laugh and call him crazy and just send him on his way if Jesus came to your town today? If Jesus showed up here in Atlanta today, on the 4th of July, I imagine he'd come right on up and make a joyful noise with Simon on the cymbals. Then I think he'd show up at our pool parties and barbecues eat a hot dog, maybe have a beer. And I think he would speak that same prophetic word of peace and grace, of God's dream for the world in ways that might sound a little foreign and radical to our ears. We might take offense. But really, I think he'd just be singing our songs back to us in ways that call us to deeper faith and broader action towards the ideals we profess until liberty and life and justice for all is a reality. Jesus was amazed at the town people's unbelief. The text says, after all the miracles, 
and healings and signs he performed in front of their very eyes. Storms calmed, daughters healed, dead raised, demons cast out. Still, they unbelieved, they disbelieved. And the text says that because of their unbelief, Jesus was rendered powerless. Have you ever considered that your unbelief has consequences? Just as much as your faith. Sometimes we fail to see the healing and the miracle, and we fail to believe our great healer, God. Why? Because even more often, I think, we fail, whether out of ignorance or shame or denial, we fail to see the wounds and to believe the wounded. For too long, our society has failed to believe and pursue justice for victims of sexual abuse. For too long, we have dismissed those who experience racial discrimination, violence, prejudice on a regular basis. Some have failed all this time to ever acknowledge the very real pandemic which still still plagues much of the globe. Last week, did you see a whole condo building collapsed in Miami. Cracks, fissures, leaks galore, warning signs all around. And the people failed to see. My friends, the very creation we inhabit is groaning. This week, did you see that the ocean in the Gulf of Mexico caught on fire after a gas pipe leaked. Emergency workers were pouring water on the water to extinguish the flames. Our denial and unbelief, not of God, but of the realities that surround us, has consequences. Healing isn't possible until you accept a diagnosis. There are painful wounds to see, and hard, hard stories to hear and believe in our world today. But we won't see our great healer until we see the hurting. The last, the least, and the lost of the earth with whom our God most closely identifies. And we will not be able to see and harness the power of God as God's people to join in God's loving and healing and reconciling until we have the courage to stare the forces of death in the face. But when we do so, we are given power to do nothing less than join with God in raising the dead to life. Which is what Jesus sends the disciples out on mission to do today in the second part of our gospel reading. So he sends them out. But the work of the kingdom starts with the familiar and the close. It starts in here. Jesus disrupts and transforms that which is cozy and comfortable with his prophetic word. It takes a lot of courage to revisit our origins, to go home, to the towns we came from, the place we started. It takes a lot of bravery to go home to ourselves and to show up as our new and 
authentic selves. As we journey closer to the people we have always been and sought to be. It calls us to visit fresh old wounds, to search our hearts and minds, to hear our own songs sung back to us. Things may not be how we remembered or as we first learned. Sometimes we will face rejection. We will be called to change. We will notice ways in which we have changed already. Indeed, that we are always becoming. Paul writes today, as one who encountered the disruptive power of God firsthand when he encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. He speaks today in third person of a man who had a mystical vision of the third heaven. One wonders if Paul was under the influence. But scholars agree that he is despite speaking in the third person, not really talking about someone else. He's talking about himself in a first version, first century version of asking for a friend. He decenters himself in order that he might not distract and in order that he may boast not in his own spiritual merits, but in the God whose power is made perfect in his wounds and his weaknesses. We all have them. Much ink has been spilled, speculating about the exact nature of that thorn in Paul's side. Was it illness, temptation, envy, pride? We don't really know, but the point remains. Paul does not conceal his wounds and his weaknesses. He doesn't hide them. He goes so far as to boast in them, as the very sight of God's power and God's grace. Grace that is sufficient, grace that is enough. A grace and a power that's available when we really, really take off all the masks. When we see, when we believe. So my friends, let us really take off our masks as we come to this table today. Let us not hide our faces from the pain, from the joy, from the miracle that is being together. It starts with showing up as our full selves. Are you nervous? I am. It's okay. God's grace will do the rest. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. Tis grace has brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. Welcome home. Amen. Amen.